Stand for the reading of God's Word, Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 1. Tonight's goal is not to begin the verse-by-verse part of it, but just to give you an overview of the book, and then we'll jump into chapter 1 and verse 1 next week. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who, shall go, who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And here we see the calling in the ministry of the prophet Isaiah. Uh, but tonight we're going to look at an overview of the book of Isaiah. And the title of the Bible study this evening is this, He's Coming. He's coming, and that's a reference to the fact that Jesus is coming. Now, let's, let's set this in, in context of the timeline. This is before Christ was born the first time. There's prophecies that, uh, that are attributed to the first coming and the second coming of Christ in the book of Isaiah, but most of the prophecies in the book of Isaiah were about the first coming of the Messiah, and we'll be looking at some of those tonight and whet your appetite and get you excited about this Bible study. Let's pray this evening. Lord, help us as we open our Bible uh, to understand your word. Uh, Lord, to have an idea of why this is important to us. And then, Lord, to go home excited that your book is accurate and eternal. Lord, we rejoice in a book that um, is able to tell the future and then deliver on what it says. And, Lord, tonight, may we all leave with our hearts just a little bit more validated that we hold a perfect book in our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well... What was an Old Testament prophet? That's an important thing to understand going into this Bible study. An Old Testament prophet. Old Testament prophets are different uh, than New Testament preachers in some ways. The timeline uh, or the period uh, of the prophets was approximately 700 years, all right? And so the earth has been around, as we know it, for 6,000 years and for 700 of those years, there were prophets that walked the earth, uh, that held the position of a prophet. The timeline would have been 1,050 years before Christ was born, up to 350 years before Christ was born, or B.C. And the prophetic writings were around for 400 of those 700 years. And so from 800 B.C. Uh, up until 400 B.C., we have the writing of the prophets. Now, just so you're all aware of this, you're all thinking, 
you have your thinking cap on this morning I'm, or this evening. I'm going to keep your attention on my own here in a minute, but I need you to sort of focus on purpose right now. Okay, we count up, right? It's the year 2021. Next year it will be the year 2022. Back then, um, or looking back on history, the history is recorded counting down. So the dividing line on the history timeline is the birth of Christ, B.C., before Christ, okay? And so 750 B.C. was 750 years before Christ was born. And so the preceding year would be, or rather the following year would have been 749 and then 748. We count up, they, we, as we look back on history, there's a counting down, okay? So 750, everybody with me this evening, to 350. 750 to 350 were, was the era of the prophetic writing. So what was the purpose of a prophet? The purpose of a prophet. You all know the purpose of a pastor because you have one and you've grown up in the church era and you have a Bible that explains that and it's applicable to you and you've had a chance to observe uh, me or maybe some other pastors and you have an idea of who a pastor is and what a pastor is supposed to do. But uh, what about a prophet? Because we don't have those around anymore. Well, let me give you, and again, this is an oversimplification, but indulge me here. Let me give you two purposes of a prophet, okay? The first one was they foretold. They foretold. Now, a lot of people think that all prophets did was prophesy. You know, they'd sit there almost like they had, you know, a radio frequency in their ear that no one else had. And they say, oh, oh hold on just a moment. I'm getting a message from the Lord. Yep, this is going to happen to you. Now, we'll get into that side of it here in a minute, but please understand that the majority of the time, what a prophet did was they just preached what everyone else already knew. They would get up and preach uh, truth, and they would remind the country what they were supposed to do. And with that said, there is overlay between what a, a preacher pastor does and a preacher prophet did. They both forth told. They proclaimed forth with their mouth, uh, how people were supposed to live. So, uh, to sum it up this way, they preached against sin, and they warned about sin's consequences. That's what a pastor does. He preaches against sin, and he warns against sin's consequences. But not only did they foretell, they also, not only did they foretold, foretold, they foretold, they foretold. And God used them to predict six major Things, six major themes. So let me give you those uh, this evening. Now, Brother Joe, I believe your notes are a little bit different than mine, and so uh, uh, I'll let you lead me here. Put them up there one at a time for me. The first one is judgment. They foretold judgment on Judah, Israel, and others. Judah, Israel, and others. And this would include Isaiah, but all of the Old Testament prophets. They uh, foretold uh, judgment on Judah, Israel and others. And so, for example, uh, one of the books of the Bible was written against the Edomites. It's one chapter long. I believe it's the book of Obadiah. And what happened was the Edomites were the descendants of Esau that lived on some mountains outside of Jerusalem. And uh, they had made fun of the Israelites as they were being carried into captivity of Babylon. And Obadiah just basically said, hey, you shouldn't have done that. And because you did, uh, you're going to be wiped out and you will be no more. And sure enough, just a few years later, a handful of years later, they were wiped out and they were no more. So they foretold judgment, not only against Judah and Israel. We'll see in a moment here that even Isaiah foretells uh, judgment of God to other nations. Okay, uh, Captivity. Captivity of Israel 
and Judah. The uh, Israelites, uh, the ten uh, uh, southern, uh, let's see, no, the ten northern tribes would be carried away by the Assyrians and would never reestablish, would never be uh, uh, solidified as a country again. Uh, Judah, uh, the two southern tribes, would be carried away by Babylon and would eventually be sent back, but always under the rule of someone else. So judgment in captivity. Next. We see here that they uh, foretold the return and building of the remnant. And so uh, really you find two themes in the book of uh, Isaiah that we'll visit often. And those themes are judgment and hope. Judgment and hope. And uh, you'll hear, and by the way, you find those two themes in almost every uh, prophetic book. But there's the judgment of God coming down because of the way you've lived. And you're going to be carried away in captivity and uh, death and destruction. But then right behind that is, but if you'll return, then there is hope. And so uh, re- the, the return and building of the remnant was predicted by the prophets. And by the way, that would come about. Then you have the coming kingdom of God. And uh, that's speaking more of the uh, new Jerusalem that one day will be ruled by King Jesus and that second coming of Christ. And you've heard me say many times that Jesus is a prophet, a priest, and a king. The first time he came, he came as a prophet. Now, currently, he is our priest at the right hand of the Father. But one day he'll come back and he'll be the king. And so one of the ways that uh, Isaiah and the other prophets would comfort uh, the nation of Israel was to say, hey, look, one day King Jesus will reestablish Israeli dominance in the world and uh, and there will be that reign supreme uh, from Jerusalem with King Jesus, that descendant of David. So the last one there is the first coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ. And we'll see that specifically tonight with Isaiah. There was a lot of foretelling of that first coming of Christ and all of the details that would take place around that. So what was the purpose of a prophet? They would for, they foretold, they just flat out preached, hey, you better quit living the way you're living, and they foretold, they foretold, they predicted the future. By the way, we know this, that if a prophet were to give a prophecy and it did not come true, uh, then what would happen? Oh, I, I missed the last one there. I'll get to that one in a minute. What would happen? Uh, uh, what, what would end up happening is if a prophet uh, uh, predicted something that didn't come true is uh, they, would be, they would be put to death. They'd be put to death. Uh, so why did God have such a severe consequence? He didn't want a bunch of imposters walking around claiming to be prophets that weren't prophets. If you know, knew that the, you were going to get the death sentence, if your prophecy didn't come true, then you weren't walking around claiming to be a prophet. So the last purpose here was the day of the Lord, and that's judgment day. Now watch this, okay? You read that phrase over and over again, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, especially in the latter half of the Old Testament or the major or minor prophets. Now to someone who is not doing right, the day of the Lord is a scary event. But to the righteous, the day of the Lord is a great day. To be specific, the day of the Lord is when Jesus comes down out of the heaven on his horse and the church comes riding in behind him, and there's a, a battle that takes place. You can read about all this in the book of Revelation. There's a battle that takes place in the valley of Megiddo, and the armies of the world fight against the Lord Jesus Christ, and he opens his mouth, and swords shoot out of his mouth. The armies of the world are killed, and the blood flows up as high as the horse's bridle. It's going to be a wild event. 
And we'll be there as part of the army, but to be honest, we're going to do nothing more than spectate because Jesus is going to do it all. Now, if you're on the wrong side of God, that's a scary thought. But if you're on the right side of God, the day of the Lord is a good day. By the way, after that battle, Jesus goes down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And he takes the kings of the world into the valley of Jehoshaphat. You can read about this in the Minor Prophets. Jesus makes reference to it in Matthew 25. And he judges the, the leaders, the political leaders of the world. And some of them pass into heaven, or rather into the millennial reign, and others are condemned to hell. What's the dividing line? The dividing line is, did you clothe and did you feed and did you take in my brethren, the Israelites, while the wrath of the Antichrist was falling on them, or were you on the side of the Antichrist? So that day of the Lord is going to be quite a day, quite a day. And so there's a lot of prophecy foretelling about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. So you find those one, two, three, four, five, six themes being prophesied or predicted or foretold by the prophets. Okay, oftentimes they did not know, the prophets did not know exactly what they were talking about when God was using their hand to write down future events. Imagine you're a prophet and God says, write this down. And you say, okay, Lord, and you write it down. You say, what's that mean? And God says, I don't want you to know what that means. What? You say, Pastor, oh, come on, surely they knew. In some cases they did, but in most cases they didn't. You say, can you prove that? Yes, I can. Take your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse number 10. Oftentimes when they were writing down prophecy, they had no idea what it was they were writing. They did not have that crystal clear perspective that, that God has uh, looking back over time. Look at 1 Peter 1, look at verse number 10. The Bible says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. So the prophets are inquiring, they're searching. It uh, goes on to say, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what, verse 11, 1 Peter 1, verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. So verse 10 says they were searching diligently. They were trying to figure it out. They're writing this down and then scratching their heads and trying to understand what it was they were writing down. And so if there's any question of who wrote the Bible, man did not write the Bible. God wrote the Bible and man just simply printed the Bible. I've used this illustration before, but indulge me for a minute. Uh, sometimes I'll have an employee here at the church type out a letter for me. And so I'll have them scribble down some ideas of what I want in the letter and I'll have them articulate the letter in, in great detail off of my ideas. They slip it in front of me. Now, my name's at the bottom, okay? But, um, but, but uh, off to the side of my name will be a dash and then the initials of the person who typed out the letter. Now, um, it, it, even beyond just giving general ideas, God wrote the Bible and man simply pinned the Bible down for God as a secretary would do. And so uh, here they are writing these things down, uh, writing these prophecies down, and don't even fully understand them themselves, all right? And so that brings us to a very important question. I used to teach math in school, 
I used to teach seventh grade math. Now, Sunday I said there was no purgatory. I may have been mistaking. Seventh grade math class is purgatory, amen, for a teacher. One of the hardest things I've ever done. I would say the hardest thing I've ever done in church ministry was coach a Christian school, school girls basketball team. Amen. The second hardest thing I've done in church ministry is not pastor. It's teach a seventh grade math class. Glory, hallelujah. Not because of the material, but because of the students. And I'm being somewhat facetious. But I had students who would raise their hand and ask this question right here. Mr. Lejeune, how is this going to help me when I get out into real life? How many of you ever asked a question like that in school? Right? We call it the relevance question. So you're sitting here and saying, okay, pastor, we're getting ready to do a deep dive into the book of Isaiah, and I just don't really see how this is relevant to New Testament Christians living today. So how is this relevant today? Well, let me give you some uh, things about the relevance of this, all right? And I'm, I'm going to list these all quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time commenting here, but first notice that Jesus quoted them or alluded to them. Jesus quoted them or alluded to them over and over and over again. Jesus references the Old Testament prophets, and Isaiah is the one he references the most. Um, here's another one. God revealed himself to us. God revealed himself to us through these prophets. Another one, their writings are foundational to, and I'm going to give you three, uh, three, three things that do apply to you that the Old Testament prophets are foundational, all right? So the Old Testament prophets, their writings are foundational to, uh, first, uh, the life of Christ, the life of Christ. Uh, we, we would not have the validity of the life of Christ if it weren't for the Old Testament prophets. Do you understand that when Jesus came, he fulfilled all kinds of Old Testament prophecies validating that this was of God? Uh, so the life of Christ is foundational to uh, books like Isaiah. Here's another one here. Um, the New Testament. Or rather, uh, right, the New Testament or the New Covenant. Um, what is a testament? What is a covenant? Uh, you've heard of a will and testament, right? Someone dies, you pull out that will and testament. And that testament was complete when Jesus died. Uh, by the way, the Old Testament became completed when Jesus died, and the New Testament was given to us and uh, for new believers. So the New Covenant, the New Testament, and the last uh, way, uh, the last thing that the Old Testament is uh, foundational to is the church, the church. We would not understand the concept of the church if it wasn't for what we find in the Old Testament prophets. All right, so the, relevant, the relevance question, one more here. Uh, one cannot fully understand Christianity without them. You cannot understand Christianity without the prophets. So this really is a very vital and important part of who we are and what we believe, and we'll definitely be making applications as we go. So with all of that said, let's look at the first of the books of the prophets as they're laid out in our Bible uh, that we come to, and uh, let's look at the prophet Isaiah, all right? My points tonight are very simple. Point number one is Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet. Anybody already guessed the blank? Anybody here? Who here tries to guess at my alliteration? A couple of you try to guess. And um, some of you sit there and think, Pastor, I had the better word. You should have consulted me, and I had the better word. And had you asked me, you would have, you would have had a much better outline. Amen? 
Isaiah the prophet. Now you know it's a letter P. You can guess at that, that point number two. Okay, Isaiah lived from 740 B.C. to 681 B.C. He lived during, and we find this in, in Isaiah 1, but he lived during the Judean kings of uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and Manasseh. Ancient history tells us that Isaiah most likely died at the hands of King Manasseh. King Manasseh was a wicked, wicked, wicked king. And he prophesied against the king's wickedness. Legend has it that King Manasseh had him sawed in half. That's a rough way to die. I can think of a lot better ways to die than being sawed in half. Uh, But uh, that's how legend has it that he died. And uh, Isaiah there... He, he, um, he was busy serving the Lord during all those kings. Let me quickly give you a letter A, B, and C. Notice letter A, his selection. His selection. For sake of time, we won't go back and read Isaiah 6. We'll be looking at Isaiah 6 in detail in a couple of months here. But in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, we find um, has a, a rather Isaiah caught up in a vision into the presence of God. He sees the seraphim angels. He sees a lot going on. He realizes how wicked he is. He throws himself prostrate on the ground. Uh, His lips are touched with a coal off of the uh, fiery altar in heaven where his iniquity is purged. Once his iniquity is purged, he's able to hear the voice of God. And what is the voice of God? The Trinity is having a conversation, and they're saying, Who shall we send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah cries out and says, Here am I, send me. Now I want everyone to get one point of application here. Isaiah could not be selected until he fully understood the call. Isaiah could not understand the call until he got his sin out of the way. You all understand that? Until his iniquity was purged, he could not even hear the voice of God. Once he heard the voice of God, he was able to understand the burden and the call And then he was able to volunteer and God was able to select him. It could be that God has a call on your life. And until you're willing to make yourself holy, you'll never even understand what that call is. And so you say, well, I go to church. Can I tell you, Isaiah was already a man of God before he was caught up into heaven. He was already a religious person before he was caught up into heaven. But he was not a man who had his sins confessed and his heart right. Once he got that right, he was able to hear the voice of God and he was able to be called. Letter B, notice his sermons, his sermons. Turn to chapter 8 and let's look at verse number 5. Chapter 8 and verse number 5. And again, the book of Isaiah is a combination of his poetry and his sermons, uh, recording of those things. And uh, in five minutes, I'm not going to be able to sum all that up. But um, uh, at least I can give you a summary, but I can't give you a vast, broad summary. It'll, it'll be a quick summary. Look at verse 5. The Lord spake unto me, saying, again, saying, this is chapter 8, verse, verse 6 now. For as much as this people refuseth the waters of uh, Shiloh, that go softly and rejoice in reason and Remaliah's son, now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria, and all his glory. And he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks. And he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow 
and go over. He shall reach even uh, to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land. Notice those last two words, O Emmanuel. O Emmanuel. Now, there are several different analogies used in the book of Isaiah to talk about the captivity and destruction of Israel because of their sin. Here we see the idea of being overflowed uh, like a river uh, overflowing a city. Uh, We also will see the analogy of a tree being cut down and that stump being left there and then that stump burning and from that stump coming a holy seed that would sprout up the Messiah. So we'll see that in time to come. Who cuts down the tree? Well, uh, and, and who overflows the banks? Uh, well, the Assyrian army does first, and, and, and again, figuratively, and then the Babylonians finish them off. We know from history that the Assyrians would lay siege on Jerusalem and greatly weaken Jerusalem, and then the Babylonians would come in and would finish the job. And so what were his sermons? His sermons were, hey, you all better live righteous or this is coming, and by and large he was ignored. Now, let her see, notice his extreme submission. Turn over to chapter 20 and verse number 1. I just want to say this evening that if you think God has called you to do something hard, um, be thankful you're not an Old Testament prophet. Did you know that Jeremiah was ordered by God to sleep on his left side for like, I don't know, was a year and a half, and eat his food cooked over, was it cow dung? And then ordered to sleep on his right side for X amount of days. And then uh, we're going to see here that Isaiah was ordered to do something very, very, very strange. So the next time you think God's asked you to do something hard, just thank God you're not an Old Testament prophet. Look at chapter 20, verse 1. In the year that Tartan came unto Ashdod, when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him and fought against Ashdod and took it. At the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah, the son of Amoz, uh, saying, Go and loose the sackcloth from off thy loins and put off thy shoe from thy foot. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, Like as my servant Isaiah hath walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and wonder upon Egypt and upon Ethiopia, so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians prisoners and the Ethiopians captives, young and old, naked and barefoot. And if you're wondering what he means by naked, he's pretty descriptive here. Look, even with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt, he was completely naked, and they shall be afraid and ashamed of Ethiopia, their expectation, and of Egypt, their glory, and the habitation of this uh, isle shall say in that day, Behold, such is our expectation, whither we flee for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and how shall... We escape. Now, we'll get into the significance of the prophecy another time, but I'm just more trying to make the point. God ordered um, Isaiah to walk around completely naked for three years, and he did it. And he did it. This is a man who has submitted totally to whatever God wanted him to do, even in these extreme measures. So we see Isaiah the prophet. Number two, notice Isaiah's prophecies. Isaiah's prophecies. You get it right? Did you get it right, Tom? They got it right. Good job, guys. You better say yes. That was easy. Okay. Amen. All right. 
so there are 131 messianic prophecies in Isaiah's book. Uh, what is a messianic prophecy? It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. There are 131 prophecies in the book of Isaiah. Um, these, these are foretold futuristic things that will happen, um, or from his, era, from his perspective, what happened about Christ. Most of these 131 deal with Christ's first coming. Let me show you some examples of Isaiah telling us what would happen and then how they came to pass and are so recorded in the New Testament, okay? So let's look at a few of them. Notice letter A, the Messiah's birth. The Messiah's birth. Now, these are not alliterated, so guys, don't waste your time. Look at chapter 7 and verse number 10. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 10. We've got about nine minutes, so we're going to have to move quickly here, okay? Look at chapter 7 and verse number 10. Look here, the Bible says, Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, King Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David. This is Isaiah speaking. It is a small thing for you to weary men, but uh, will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. Quick, quick, quick. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. So Isaiah had predicted years prior that that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and his name would be called Emmanuel. By the way, if you want some more information on this, you have to do the research on your own. There's something you can look up called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And this is an uncovering of the writings of Isaiah, at least in part, that prove that Isaiah did write these things many, many years before Christ was born. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was the spouse of Joseph, before they came together, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, was not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which uh, had been spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, and again, this is a quote from Isaiah 7:14. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So uh, Isaiah predicts the Messiah's birth. Notice next uh, the Messiah's importance. The Messiah, Messiah's importance. Turn over to chapter 28 and look at verse number 16. Chapter 28 and verse number 16. Now, this would seem vague if you're just reading through the book of Isaiah. This would totally be missed on you. But look what it says here. Therefore, thus shall the Lord God, or rather, therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. This is a prophecy about Christ being the cornerstone of the church. You say, well, where do you see that, Pastor? Well, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 4. In fact, let me read it for you. If you're fast, you can get there. But for sake of time, I'm going to start reading. 1 Peter 2, 4 says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, 
disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion. In fact, look back there if you still have it at 28.16 while I read this here. Uh, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. And so a reference back to Isaiah 28.16. Jesus is, his ministry is of great importance. It is the cornerstone of the church. Let's look at letter C, the Messiah's ministry. The Messiah's ministry. Look at chapter 9 and verse number 1. Chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 1. There was a lot of prophecy about the ministry of Jesus. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he, and that he is a reference to Jesus, he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those are, those are um, uh, tribes within Israel. Uh, and afterwards did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. Look at verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. Turn over to, um, let's see, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 12. And again, keep in mind what we just read. Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 12. I'll begin reading. We'll read 12, uh, rather, um, yes, Matthew 4, read 12 through 17. It says, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulon and Naphtali, or Naphtalim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtalim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region in shadows of death, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Isaiah foretold uh, this part of Jesus' ministry, how he would come from these regions and how he would bring light uh, to the darkness. Turn over back over to Isaiah chapter 6 and look at verse number 9. Isaiah 6, verse number 9. I'm just giving these to you uh, rapid fire. Look at uh, verse 9 of Isaiah 6. The Bible says, And he said, Go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, and perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and convert and be healed. Turn over to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. I'm going to make a great point of application that I saw for the first time doing this Bible study. Matthew chapter 13. And verse number 13. And if I'm moving too quick for you, let me encourage you to take these notes and go back on your own and study this out at a slower pace. Matthew 13, 13, it says, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, or Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understanding. And seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For the people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are full of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see 
with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should hear them. Now I've been I've wondered this and I've had others ask me why did God not want them to hear? Why did God not want them to see? And I had sort of an aha moment studying this out, okay? Look at Isaiah chapter 35. Now we're going to get a contrast here between the people that had eyes and couldn't see and another group of people. Look at Isaiah 35 and look at verse number 5. And again, this is a prophecy about Jesus. Look here. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart or a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Now, Luke chapter, for sake of time, we're not going to look at it, but Luke chapter 7, 20 verse 22, 20 through 22, tells us about Jesus helping the blind to see and the deaf to hear. Now, here's what I want to point out. Those that had ears and eyes that functioned heard what Jesus said, but were not able to get it. Those that had eyes and ears that couldn't function because of their faith were made whole and they got it. What was that factor? What was the difference? Listen up here. I'm almost done. What was the difference? It was a matter of faith. A matter of faith. Some had faith and some didn't. And those that were deaf and blind had faith and were healed and able to hear and see. Those that didn't have faith, boy, it wasn't that God was shutting up their ears. It was that their lack of faith shut up their ears. I'm going to give you the blanks and then I'll let you do your own uh, reading of Isaiah and um, uh, the New Testament. I've laid out the verses there for you and I encourage you to do it on your own, okay? The next blank is the Messiah's death. The Messiah's death is laid out in great detail and then the Messiah's resurrection. Now on the Messiah's resurrection there's a typo which is my fault. Instead of it saying Mark 16:16, it should say Mark 16:6. So you want to mark out the one in front of that second 16. Mark 16, 6. And all of that was predicted in the book of Isaiah. That's what we're going to be looking at over the next however long it takes us to get to the book of Isaiah. Now, uh, I'll just say this in closing. I find this to be very interesting. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. There are 66 books in the Bible. After the 39th chapter in the book of Isaiah, the Israelites are carried away in exile. Just like the Old Covenant shows us that we are under the law and we fall short. There are 27 chapters after the exile, and those parallel the New Testament. 39 chapters represent the 39 books in the Old Testament. 27 chapters, the last 27 chapters represent the 27 books of the New Testament. And right in the middle of the New Testament, you find John 3.16. Right in the middle of those last 27 chapters, you, you find Isaiah 53. Isn't that interesting? Isaiah 53 lays out the death of Jesus. So really fascinating, almost like somebody from heaven was coordinating all this ahead of time for us. And so that's what we get to look forward to. Now, I'll just say this. In fact, let's have you stand to be dismissed this evening. Let's have you stand to be dismissed. Um, I'll say this by way of departure. I hope your appetite's been wet. Amen? But if you want to do the discipleship, 
then don't let it be so wet that you don't take the discipleship course with Pastor Andrew. Uh, I'd rather you, if you haven't been through that, I would rather you do that. And then you can go listen to my Bible studies on, uh, online uh, throughout the week if, if you really want to get to them. So that's the Bible study tonight. Next week we'll start in Isaiah chapter 1 at verse 1 and begin working our way verse by verse through and uh, really neat stuff. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed tonight. Glad to see you all here. Let's pray as we go.